You're listening to Theology Untucked with Tim and Caleb. Our aim, as always, is to help the people of God understand, love, and enjoy the Word of God. For more information, visit us at theologyuntucked.com. Welcome to Theology Untucked with Tim and Caleb, episode number two, Inspiration, Inerrancy, and Infallibility. And now, here are your hosts and theologians in Victa, Tim and Caleb. Victa, What do you I think like of that, that one? <laughs> the unconquered theologians. I like it. Oh, I like that we can put yeah, that... I had no clue what that meant. Put that in episode it two. It sounded tough, though. <laughs> because most likely by episode so- five or so, we will be conquered. Oh man, <laughs> I was feeling a little uh, conquered earlier because um, we, you know, we record these things late, and I'm, I'm usually up late, but for some reason, I like had to take a nap beforehand. But I'm doing good now. Yeah, I was surprised. I mean, I I hear from you. You're reading until like five, five thirty in the morning, six in the morning, right around the time I'm waking up. And then you're just telling me, yeah, we're going to have to push a little bit later. i got to grab me a nap before we record tonight. Man, just throwing me all up into confusion with how you how your sleep schedule works. Me, I'm, I'm straight it's up. It's this pandemic, man. I'm midnight to six, period. That's it, every single night. That's just how it works, and I can't. Sleep Nazi. Yeah, I can't. I, I used to do those things. That's just not the case anymore. It doesn't work like that. Not because I, you're actually older than me. I just, I don't know why. I think it's the amount of children in my house. Anyway, so <laughs> speaking of I am of which, older than you. I am your elder. <laughs> I'm your elder, Tim. Speaking of which, I was reminded today how different girls are than boys. <laughs> I my little boy uh, <laughs> is two years old, and the kid could, if I let him, he'd climb up on the roof just to see if he could jump off of it. Uh, and That's what I'm talking about. I just, um, um, our, uh, our fourth, uh, our third girl, our fourth um, child is uh, going to be born here um, soon, any week now, and... I, I'm just I it keeps on flowing through my mind how uh, how it was to have my uh, my older girls uh, that age and and uh, twirling around in little dresses and stuff like that and I look at my I look at my boy Levi and he's just uh, he is uh, he is an amazing uh, acrobat that is just filled with muscle that can do anything he's uh, he was trying to tackle me the other day and uh, I'm not if you uh, ever see me not a slight individual. And uh, he can he can nearly match me uh, balance for balance on some of this. He's pretty impressive. But anyway, I was reminded of that dirty today. Dirty boys, <laughs> dirty boys. They're all dirty. Yeah. Well. So I got one. I got one daughter. I'm I'm so I'm so glad I don't have any boys. I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> my, my little my little girl's sweet. She started. She stopped kind of being sweet when she started turning a teenager but she's starting to come out of it so good we all we all have to go through that uh, phase just a bit don't we i don't know i'm still kind of going through it i hit, <laughs> hit pubic i hit pubertry at like in my 30s so i'm kind of i'm in my prime now oh fantastic no wonder your sleep schedule's all screwy <laughs> so i am your elder with regards no, it's to this, that it's this pandemic man it's totally messed me up the the whole like being locked up and then so my, my wife and daughter and I, I mean, you know, binging Netflix like all night long, sleeping till two. Oh my um, god. My boss didn't hear this, I'll get fired. <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, you know, we've been having to work from home, but I mean nobody's exactly just banging down the doors to buy stuff right now. It's crazy times, man. Yep, crazy times. You should see my end times eschatological chart <laughs> you're gonna turn it into a rug for your office <laughs> <laughs> oh that'll That's be episode for another day but today we're talking about inspiration inerrancy and infallibility yeah just that so, tim let's uh talk about what this means <laughs> well i'll tell you that topic uh the, the the name of the episode was just to scare off everyone who's not serious about these things uh no in in all seriousness i it is it is an issue with our culture 
that we have to keep covering this over and over and over again. Um, I'm, I'm reminded often we do stand on the shoulders of giants, but we also at times have to go back and learn why they were standing so tall uh, so that we can stand next to them and uh, at times defend why they said what they said. And when we, when we deal with terms like this, obviously none of those... <clears throat> no matter how recent we went through puberty, had these things in our uh, in our vocabulary. Where we get terms like inerrancy and infallibility and inspiration? Well, uh, you know, when we when we talk about the scriptural text, when we're when we're interacting with the Bible, we tend to do it in the same way our culture does, which is our culture at this point wants to focus on how we interpret things, not focus on what the author was actually meaning that's that's how that's, our culture wow works. that's that's so radical tim <laughs> well it was when it first started but nowadays it's kind of par for the course when we uh and and yeah. stated that way in scholarship in a lot of different places the idea is uh that the importance of something you know we say it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere about it right i mean that those types of things come from that same aspect so said hitler so, so says everyone who's trying to manipulate you into something. And so when, when you run into people treating scripture this way, you're bumping up against these issues, questions of what is, what is the nature of inspiration? What is the, what, what are the concepts of inerrancy or infallibility? You know, what, when we pick up the Bible, what are we hanging on to here? What are we actually claiming about it? And so we wanted to talk about that today. And uh, before we even get into that, I wanted to put out a reminder that if you have questions about things that we either do discuss or have not discussed, things that we've left off or even holes in our presentation, hey, send us an email. We'll, we mention that at the end of yeah, every please. at the end of every episode. Uh, you can email Caleb uh, if you want um, a joke, and you can email me if you. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> oh man. So like Rodney Dangerfield over there can't get no respect. So yeah, you're welcome to to uh, send us questions or even challenge us uh, with regards to some of the things that we're talking about because these things are difficult uh, and they are there are things that we aren't usually talking about in a sermon or or a Sunday school class uh, unless unless your pastor does at which point you need to go up and give him a nice big wet kiss on his cheek because uh, he is blessing you indeed to be able to uh, expose you to these types of uh, topics. So uh, when we talk about inspiration, that has a lot more to do with the nature of the text. Where did it come from? Yeah, I, I'm glad you said that. So, and just so too, um, I, I like to like, first of all, just kind of try to explain, you know, where this where this is coming from because what what we have is you have you have two different pendulum swings when it comes to these three different topics um you know you have you have one pendulum swing that is uh very liberal um and then and then you have another pendulum swing that is very um fundamentalist um and we don't want to be on those pendulum swings uh you know so a liberal side's gonna you know, say you get to interpret it the way you want to, um, and then a fundamentalist side is 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 really going to be. It's, it, they're really very much of the of the same kind of beast where they in, interpret things and and they they talk about infallibility and inspiration and inerrancy, but they're actually doing the same thing that 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 a liberal does and 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 taking the Bible out of context. You know, Caleb, that's actually so, a really good point because. Most most people don't quite realize that what sits behind both liberal and fundamental theologies is modernism, a philosophy, and that mm -hmm. is, you know, I there's a professor at our seminary who is uh, who reminds me all the time, Christianity is not an ism. It may at some points have similarities or commonalities or even overlaps with some isms, but there are sometimes when you get full-on battles back and forth such as um, the one in modernist philosophy or modernism where you ended up with liberal theologies and you ended up with extremely conservative theologies um, and I, I even hate to attach that word to it because it doesn't really mean that but 
but you'll get these you'll get these pendulum swings back and forth and it instantly creates extremes every time we try to stick christianity into a man-made box it just simply won't do uh and we're learning that all over again with leftism uh and what what some people refer to wokeism and things like this and we're going to learn the same things again and again and again we we need to keep reminding ourselves to come back to scripture as it stands so anyway i wanted to point out your and hey we're not foreign to this being being students in in seminary either um that i mean you you come across this stuff not just in in the in in the secular world um which is why i've just got a big heart for for teaching a lot of this you know pretty deep stuff to to our youth um because i know that they're going to be they're going to be hit with things absolutely um once they once they leave the nest they're they're going to be hit hard and what's crazy is that I, I expect it i expect it from uh from the liberal secular society i mean mm-hmm. I, I understand what i'm getting but it's man it's another thing when it's coming from the church um uh that's just that, that uh, false teaching. It, it just it deeply it deeply concerns me, and, and apparently it was pretty concerning to the authors of the New Testament because they they spoke a good bit about it. Yeah, um, no kidding. <laughs> so let's talk about this idea on inspiration. Inspiration. So, so that's topic so number one audience. for today. Yeah. So the inspiration. Tell our audience what. What were you going to head to? Well, so I I, I want you, I want you to kind of. Um, Divide these up. The the difference between inspiration, inerrancy, and infallibility. And it's interesting, but it, because also too is you know as I write my different papers and stuff, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but that evil Bill Gates, like when I'm on my Microsoft Word, <laughs> like inerrancy and infallibility show up to not be a word. Yeah. <laughs> I'm finding. Have you ever noticed? That? I'm finding the more books I read and the more papers I write, the the fewer things Microsoft Word approves me of writing. <laughs> I keep on having I'm like, to add no, things. No, and, and I always have to go back and like, did I spell this correctly? And I'm like, I spelled that. It, it's it doesn't recognize it as a word. So speaking of things like to add to your dictionary, for anyone who's listening, one wonderful Greek word for you to add to your dictionary is theopneustos. Uh, that is the word for God breathing, uh, which is a mm. title that was found as uh, a word that is found in Second Timothy uh, chapter three that refers to the reality of Scripture as being breathed out by God, Theopneustos. And it is So that means when the authors were writing the Bible, Tim, that they were autom- they were just kinda like doing automatic writing. They didn't even know what they were saying, right? Oh man, I hope people are picking up the sarcasm in your voice. Uh no, absolutely not. When we are talking about inspiration, we are we are not talking about something like a fax machine from heaven uh or or, or mm. things that the the false religions of the world all claim which for instance the the quran was uh was eternal and was dictated through muhammad or or the golden plates for instance that joseph smith uh happened upon mm-hmm. and translated and uh these types of that is not the nature of scripture the nature of scripture it's very much um occultic uh, the occult meaning like hit, hidden knowledge, right? It makes um, sense. Something that's it makes sense to the mind of man, that, right? If we're going to create right. a false religion, it's always going to involve something less complicated than what scripture actually is. It's either going to be man writing it or God writing it. It's never going to be what scripture actually is, which is complicated as all get out. God is writing mm-hmm. it through men. Period. Yeah, which means which means that it has it has the personality of the author that actually wrote it. Right. Um. It has the culture from his time. Right. It has the context of the culture of that author's time. The literary and, habits. And we, the words. We, we miss that their context is not our context. Correct. And that's why it's so difficult. Uh, it's one of the reasons, absolutely. And and but it was even difficult for the people in the context. Because what we're dealing with is something that is unique. Just as Christ is unique, he's not just Mm. God and he is not just man. And I don't mean either of those in an offensive way. He is both. The scriptures are the same way. 
a very incarnational yes. expression. They're from God and they're from man. And so you'll you'll have you know places in scripture that are just incredible, awesome, even awful in the original sense of that word, full of awe passages that are God just speaking about himself in ways that are unimaginable. And one of my favorite passages of scripture is Isaiah chapter 40 through 48. I call it God bragging about mm. himself. It's just fantastic. Mm. And then you'll have other passages where Paul is writing to Timothy, hey, when you mm -hmm. come visit me, I've got, I've got a, a cloak and I've got parchments that I want you to bring. One, because I need my parchments, and two, because it's cold where I am. Both of those things are scripture. And, and so we see this we see this balance between the two uh, and it's not even a balance it's an existence of both and uh, and so you have so that doesn't mean that we're supposed to always wear our jackets <laughs> that, that, that would be a hermeneutical principle that I am not familiar with <laughs> no and, and and I'm being silly but but so therein lies how the Bible will get misinterpreted. Um, from something that is descriptive from prescriptive. Oh, I guess is kind of what you're all explaining. The time. Happens all the time. So, when, I mean, when we're talking about inspiration, it's not versus inerrancy versus infallibility. It's inspiration is one topic. Uh, the nature of how God did this is always going to be beyond how we can imagine. I can't. I can't even answer the question if. Paul knew he was writing scripture when he was writing scripture versus when he wasn't writing scripture. I mean, we know, for instance, that there were more than two letters to the church in Corinth written by Paul. Two of them were mm. scripture. The other one, possibly two, weren't. Was Paul aware of it? Where are they? Well, where are they? But was Paul aware of it? I can't even answer that question. I don't know. But was Luke aware yeah. that he was writing scripture? Yes. We know that because he was an accompaniment of Paul and Paul quotes it as scripture within 10 years of it being written. So yes, mm -hmm. he knew it. But then these other ones, how do you, how, I can't even put my mindset into that. Obviously it gets easier with someone like Obadiah, you know, where the only thing he writes is one chapter and that's directly from the mouth of God and it's sent to the people of Edom, right? I mean, so that, that one's a little bit more easy, but to wrap your head around how writing inspired scripture in the in the uh, in the original manuscripts directly from the mouth of God. I mean, so my dissertation is in this area because I want mm. to address how Jesus talked about this and the way he talked about it. When somebody is saying something that's not consistent with scripture, he takes them right back to it and says, "Don't didn't you read?" Or or my favorite quote from him: "Have you not read?" I love that. Have you not read? I love that uh, rendition of it. Have you not read what God Doesn't your law said stay? to you? What God said to you. And then he quotes scripture. God is speaking. Why didn't you listen? That's Theopneustos. God has spoken this. It's not a metaphor, no matter how many people try to claim that. It is a direct explanation. The same way he created the world is the same way he creates scripture. The same way the incarnation the same way he saves us. It's his word that does these things. And I, I just find it, I always find it fascinating. It's one of my favorite topics. Yeah. So Jesus's words, um, when, when he's dealing with, so I've, I've always had this fascination with, um, with the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then of course you don't, you don't have the Essenes mentioned, but we know that that was a sect based sure. upon, um, the literature from that time. Um, and actually even, you know, from, from our last semesters or no, it's actually been from our most recent reading in this semester. They're all running into each other. Yeah, I was yeah. talking actually about Josephus talked about a fourth philosophy. Um, it was kind of ambiguous. There wasn't a lot of information on it, but it was, it was just interesting. Um, and, and I guess a, a, a part that's intriguing, I guess, not just to me, there, there's a whole, there's a whole area of scholarship from from secular to non secular, uh, that this this period called the the Second Temple period, um, and, and I guess maybe the interest in it, Tim, is is because you know there seems to be this absence 
of of God's voice, you know, there's there's no prophets. Right. Um during this time. Yeah, they um, they, they wrote then, extensively about that frustration that the prophetic yeah, voice and had so, but there's silent. all this literature. And then so this literature that we read, um, which, you know, would be uh, so when we talk about apocryphal literature of the Second Temple period, mm-hmm. um, for you know there was a misunderstanding. There still is the misunderstanding in, in the in the church today about um, you know the apocryphal books and 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 First Enoch and uh, Jubilees stuff like that. I think that the confusion they, uh, comes in how we're naming these things: apocryphal, pseudepigraphal, and deuterocanonicals, right. and yeah. <laughs> So let's talk about that a little bit because um, we will talk about the Second Temple period literature uh, in, in this. Uh, it does not mean that we are condoning um, inspiration, um, and, and, and the very fact that we're talking about it is is they're writing about these things mm-hmm. um, because there has been an absence of prophets right. for for this large period of time and, and and you can almost see what they're doing is trying to and, and for the uninitiated Caleb the so, world that they see so for the second temple period you know we, we use those terminologies all the time but for the uninitiated we're talking about that period of time between the old new testament right between Malachi and Matthew we're talking Correct. almost 500 years uh, intertestamental yeah intertestamental period and so there's a lot of books that were written during this period that, for instance, the Catholic Church, uh, officially after the Council of Trent in the 16th century, declared them to be scripture. Nobody had ever declared them to be scripture before that. Uh, And no Palestinian Jew uh, during the time of Christ otherwise considered them as such. Jesus never quotes from them. So there's a problem here with regards to our counting of these things. Uh, and so the question comes back, what are the nature of these texts? And you'll hear things like this come up every once in a while with regards to the Apocrypha, uh, additional chapters to Daniel or, or things like this. But so anyway, so for the uninitiated, what Caleb's talking about is the intertestamental period, those 400 or so, 500 years before Matthew opens his gospel up. So anyway, continue, please. I just want to make sure we got that clear. Well, uh, yeah, absolutely. They're, they're very human books they're very human books that are an an absence of the inspiration of of the divine uh and so the litmus test that they're using that the early church um is they're trying to weigh these things you know as they're as they're trying to figure out what what's going to be part of the the canon and not and it's actually interesting that had brought that up to him because you know Tertullian I believe um you know he he was he was very much as well as many of the other church fathers where there was a big debate on on one Enoch being um considered scripture because it is it is quoted in the New Testament Jude right um Right. Well, and then and then it, it very much probably in First Peter and alluded to a lot through through Paul's writings, but alluded to very ambiguously. But while Tertullian was for, and, and many others were for Enoch being into the canon, you can also you can also read as to as they, I guess you could say, debated with with uh, other church fathers and and. and talked about this thing right. he was okay with with the canon that 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 we have um so again you know, when he, we're talking you know, canon it, it, we're just to define our terms we're, we're speaking of what is scripture um which books make it up yeah for instance and so again we're talking about inspiration what is inspired uh, we are going to spend an entire episode or two on canon issues uh going forward because it's one of the most misunderstood uh, issues with regard. It was one of the ones that I'll tell you when I was in uh, undergraduate. I it scared me because the first, the yeah. first. Uh, it, you were kind of taught that, right? I was taught to be afraid of it. Yes, whether whether my teacher had that as a goal or not, uh, that is exactly what ended up. Um, but I just to just to say a, a single pin on it and and to move us on to inerrancy and infallibility. When we're talking, yeah. About, so what's the difference between inerrancy? Well, let. So when we're talking about inspiration, we're talking about canon. Just to wrap this piece up, we're, we're, we're not talking about what the church is deciding is scripture or not. 
We are looking right. for what has God said. God has a canon of things he gave to mankind. The job of the church was to identify it, not to decide it. And so we will we will address those. You think those. they got it right? We will address those in a future episode. <laughs> the real question comes right. in which church? Good I mean, the Catholic Church? No, I believe they got it wrong. That's um, right. There's some different ones, different yeah, thoughts. So we'll, on we'll, we'll, get okay. we'll get to that. Uh, so let's let's move on. So to let's talk about inerrancy. Inerrancy and infallibility. Big, huge monster words that uh, are just frustrating. We never use them anywhere else. We only use them here. Um, what do they mean? So it, it's interesting that you say that because, um, you know, in our notes on this episode, you know, I was, I was looking up, um, you know, the Chicago Statement of Faith and, you know, all of these different evangelical, you know, what is it that we say that we believe right. about the Bible, believe about God and his word. And, um, you know, inerrancy is very much from what I can see. It's very much an American evangelical term. And maybe that's why I don't know. Bill Gates doesn't have it on there. I don't know. But <laughs> you know, if you if you listen if you listen to our evangelical brothers and sisters across the pond, and I'm talking about in, in the UK, um, so let's say Alistair McGrath, you know, he um him and, and some other um theologian that you know they've they've taken some heat over some from from American um evangelicals taking some heat over uh, because they don't want to use these words saying inerrancy and infallibility. However, if you read what they say or listen to what they say when they bring it into context, I'm actually okay with it um, because th they they understand that there's been problems with people taking inerrancy in the sense of they take the Bible out of context and say the Bible's inerrant, and what happens is, whether it's a fundamentalist or a liberal, but fundamentalists will do this. They'll say, the Bible says, duh, 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 God's word's inerrant. That's not exactly what it means. And that's why they're kind of right. very careful within their language of how they describe what inerrancy means. I think that's been the, the, the history of problems with regards to communication on this level. Is because when we're talking about inerrancy, yeah. we... A lot of people, and, and you mentioned liberals and fundamentalists. First of all, liberals aren't going to be saying inerrancy, but uh, you, this was the modernist no. fundamental response back to the liberals saying basically it's nothing and it's filled with errors, and so we do the polar opposite. No, 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 it's perfect. I go, whoa, hang on a yeah. second, you know. But there's there's textual variance and and things like no, no, no. The Bible I'm holding in my hands is inerrant. End of story. That's not what inerrancy means. Inerrancy. And it does not mean the King James Version <laughs> is the one that's inerrant. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's, a, uh, that's a, a different topic for a different day. Yes. But sorry to bring a big shocker in there to you. Uh, that's there, okay. Uh, I mean, when, especially when we're talking about inerrancy. In Mississippi, you think that's the thing, but nope. <laughs> when we're talking about inerrancy, our goal is, um, for instance, I do hold to inerrancy. I hold to inerrancy with regards to the I do too the original autographs. Okay, so That's when right. Paul is sitting there writing First Corinthians, that script right there, that is inerrant, no errors, God breathed, perfect, without error. That's all inerrancy means. Now, there's one or two percent of people who use the term improperly and apply it to the Bible they're carrying around in their hands, which is a translation. That's not inerrancy. Inerrancy is a reference to the... And then there are some that apply it to the way that they interpret what those words mean. Yes, too. and that's that's not even that's a question a about the nature of Scripture. That's a question about the nature of their sanity. So, But we'll, we're going to address that too when we talk about hermeneutics. But uh, the, the question of inerrancy really comes down to it's it's a statement about the original it's almost a philosophical discussion it's really it really almost doesn't even belong in church honestly because the question has to do with yeah. the nature of where the errors never were which is in something we do not currently possess and by the way we don't need to possess them this is one of the great wonders that is the the study of text criticism uh it's it's a fantastic area that that has us establishing 
with certainty what the originals were without possessing the originals. What wisdom God had in well, not see, here's what I've seen, Tim, in the church today. Um, and, and maybe maybe it's just in my area. I, I would imagine it's it's pretty widespread. Is you have a lot of pastors that get attacked by, and it's usually from a deacon. Um, but you you have pastors all the time getting attacked from this inerrancy infallibility type thing because they preached a sermon or talked a sermon on whatever topic that it may be and and because that and there, and, and the topic may not have even been on inspiration and inerrancy and infallibility but but what happened is this topic's brought up and the pastors attacked because this person had a different understanding or interpretation of what right. this scripture taught. So right. t- tell me a little bit about that being a pastor. Cause I know that that's uh, my heart goes out to pastors because they, they got to deal with a lot of idiocy and you <laughs> have to have a pastor's heart to be able to, to do that. I don't. Um, but my, my heart goes out to them because how do, how do you deal with that? So I think a lot of it, um, one, you, you have to develop a thick skin. If you don't develop a thick skin, you, you just, you will burn out. And I've seen it happen to a number of friends of mine. Um, mm. And it, it is it is an, a never-ending issue, uh, even brought up in Scripture itself. You know, uh, it is as as members of a church ensuring that you do not have your, your leaders serving with tears. That, and, and there have been times, I tell you honestly, that because people just... Uh, mistook something I said uh, immediately claim things about what I believe Um, I'll never forget Uh, one time I was I was accused of uh, pushing us to be more Catholic Um, oh my goodness and uh, I mean if you know anything about me you know that that's the exact opposite of any direction (laughs) I ever push anybody but uh but it was because I had us studying the Heidelberg Catechism. And in this person's mind, mm. all catechisms were from the Catholic Church. It doesn't matter if the Heidelberg Catechism is the great-grandfather of all Protestantism with regards to our confessions and the Westminster Catechisms and everything else. It doesn't matter that. But it, you said that word, catechism. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that's apparently just the Catholic thing. And so, uh, and you know... You, I, I see in myself and I've seen in, in others, there's there's always the tendency either to just give up, throw in the towel, or just become proud and and just be uh, in, in the word that is uh, forever etched in my memory from a friend of mine, a pissant about it all. And I, mm. I, I have spent many long hours uh, in prayer and in study ensuring neither of those things happen. Um, but in this area specifically, it happens a lot. If somebody has a little bit of knowledge about it um, and and anything can come up, it can challenge the idea that, well, maybe my pastor doesn't hold to this or that. And the real question doesn't have to do with the original autographs. Like I said, that's more of a philosophical discussion, inerrancy. Uh, right. I hold to it, but that does not really affect how I interact with Scripture. That affects right. how I'll study text criticism and my goal. My goal is to reconstruct the original text. I don't want to know what a, a scribe in the tw- 13th century thought about the text. I want to know what Paul wrote or I want to know what Isaiah Tell wrote. Tell us a little bit about what text criticism means um, because I've gotten attacked on that one before. Yeah, I guess text criticism you know, is just it's just a fancy way of explaining or, or of, of, of calling the study that the reality is we do not have the original writings that Paul or James or John wrote. And so we have copies that were in the presence of the originals and, and, and copied over and things like this, that there is, there's a, my gosh, it's such a huge area of study. There's a multifocality of it. It goes everywhere. Nobody could. Yeah. There's a secular end of it. Yeah, and, Nobody and could gather everything a... all together. But the whole thing is, is when, when, I, I say it is how God used fallible people to preserve an infallible text. And the, uh, let me explain oh, what good. I mean by that is that he used accident prone humans that make scribal errors because people weren't typing in a Microsoft word 
and it's saying i'm sorry you know you can't capitalize you know every pronoun referring to god or something like that which my microsoft word keeps trying to tell me i can't do that and i'm just like ah, tough beans <laughs> i'm capitalizing he but um but then also there's infallibility in and based upon the evidence that we have because of textual criticism right so text criticism um, and i've heard establishes it, this very very yeah, well yeah text criticism establishes that the that the overall overarching story it hasn't been lost right and um, and i think a lot of people hear the word criticism and automatically think oh you're just right. trying to criticize the bible okay criticism higher criticism and and historical criticism okay uh, you got you got it that's the goal there textual criticism is not doing that text criticism is just coming to the manuscripts and saying okay we've got a reality to deal with we've got 5500 different greek manuscripts about the new testament they do not agree with each other there are variants between them and we have to come to an understanding of where these come from the vast majority of them are not even translatable the ones that are translatable differences they're really easy to tell what happened there's some times where you even have the original where somebody's scribal notes because we're again dealing with handwritten things someone's little notes in the margin like you write in your bibles when somebody came back to that manuscript said well i guess they just had accidentally left off the end of that verse and they included it we see those things when they happen uh that's actually how first john 5 7 and 8 the comma johanium actually got into the king james version but it's not in any of our other ones well there's a reason for that and it scares people it really does and we're gonna do well a and see because this, what but... higher criticism did um is they looked and they saw all of these things and what they did is they threw the baby out with the bathwater. Yes. Um, because, you know, that the, the church has, you know, been saying that the Bible is inerrant and infallible and inspiration and all this stuff. And then when they started finding these variances, then what is it they do? They go, your Bible's not dot, 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 dot. Right. And it just destroys um, people's trust in it, which... You're never going to hear from me. Every everything that I've ever studied in text criticism, uh, or e in these things, even in history. I mean, my first degree was in ancient history, uh, has done nothing but bolster my confidence in the scriptures. Yeah. Uh, and and Same here. so that that's really that's a good transition point from inerrancy to infallibility, right? So the 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 weakness of inerrancy is that it's more or less a philosophical point of view. Uh, yeah, it does have ramifications for certain studies, of course, but that's not really our goal here. Our goal is to talk to somebody holding their Bible in their hands, going, what am I supposed to do with this thing? And infallibility comes in and tries to bridge that gap. And it talks about the nature of the fact that they can't fail. The scriptures themselves will not fail in what they are speaking towards, what they're aiming towards. They are actually to be trusted. So... A lot of people think that it's a halfway house. It really isn't. Inerrancy and infallibility are not against one another. I hold to both. No, they're not. And they're also, and I want to say this to my conservative friends, there's a lot of you who hold to inerrancy and infallibility and think that that is somehow the end-all be-all of your view of Scripture. If that's your end-all be-all of your view of Scripture, it's not complete. You need inspiration, you need good hermeneutics, you need history, you need literary degree, uh, literary focus rather. You need, you need more than just philosophical positions on the nature of the book. You need to treat it right. Right? I mean, the Pharisees could quote scripture. They knew the law forward and backwards. And Jesus comes up to them and goes, yeah, that's just simply not how it works. And, and he shows them a far deeper perspective on how these things are and saying, you need to raise your view of this even higher. It's not just a philosophical thing. It's not even just a religious thing. This is reality. And when, once we challenge ourselves to push ourselves beyond just parsing out whether inerrancy is where you hold or infallibility is where you hold or, or something else, look, you should hold to both of those. Because scripture, as it was originally written, came from the mouth of God through the pen of a man. And it was without error. Period. Infallibility. The scriptures won't fail. 
They are trustworthy, 100%. But that's not the end of the bibliology discussion. <laughs> that's so much bigger than that. But between those two things, uh, you know, the, the, the question it tends to be more one of focus. You know, inerrancy tries to answer the question of, did God do something? The answer is, of course, yes, he did do something. He, he, he gave those words through a human author and they were without error, right? Did God do something? And then in, in infallibility comes up is, is God doing something still? It tries to connect it to today. Is scripture still accomplishing what God sent it for? And the answer, of course, is yes. Now the question is, what are you going to do about that as the reader? Are you going to listen to the author or are you going to explain it away? And that's where your hermeneutic comes in. Uh, and Caleb, you and I have talked that's at length right. about this this approaching scripture uh, from a vantage point of apologizing for it or, or, or trying to explain away difficult sections. If you, that's your goal, you're never, ever, ever going to respect the scriptures nor the God of scriptures. Nor yeah, the way that we approach the text, um, well, I, well, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that uh, we approach the text with, um, with the reverence that it deserves, and uh, no, we you don't. know, I've, I've, I've heard about, <laughs> I've heard about people doing that, but, but the way that they do it, I've, it's been, been proven that. They're, they don't have much reverence for it because we hear we hear certain people think, saying things like uh, you know we should unhitch the Old Testament and we'll talk about that we'll we'll talk about that later. But the way that we approach scripture, what you don't want to make your blood reverence. boil in the middle of the night. <laughs> well, I mean it's it it, it is. Um, it gets all over me because it causes patterns of abuse and and then what happens, especially when it talk about unhitching the old testament is you you don't interpret the new testament correctly um you, you do the same repeated error that the pharisees and the sadducees um repeated we, you know we, we 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 repeat the same patterns there's there's nothing right. new under the sun um Mar and, marcion and was it, arguing it is, the same thing a, in the second century a big deal throw away the old testament he, he actually was he was one of the earliest heresies, aside from Gnosticism. Uh, he was one of the earliest heresies because what he was doing was was saying that the God of the Old Testament is not the same God that is the Father of Jesus Christ. And so he That's explains right. It was a very dualistic Testament. early Gnosticism. Yeah, and and so he explained. I mean, there is there is not a church father that did not write a book called Against Marcion for this exact reason. Because the argument that the Old Testament is somehow disconnected from the New Testament. I mean, even when I was an undergraduate, I wrote a paper called The Unnecessary Schism about the difference between the Old and New Testament. Because people would just call them as if they, they somehow, you know, like the New Testament is just like, oh, you know, well, that didn't work. So let's try something else. That's not what the New Testament is. Uh, the New Testament, in a lot of ways, is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is not just a precursor to the New Testament. It, it, it is a looking forward to Christ. Christ is everything to all of this. And, 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 and I th It's interesting we... what Marcion did, too. Um, that, a point that I'd like to bring up in, into what we're talking about. Because what Marcion did was um, he, he took a lot of Paul's writings totally unhitched the Old Testament, took a lot of Paul's writings, um, edited parts of Luke to, I, th I think it was Luke, Luke Acts. He, he edited parts of that to, to pretty, to pretty much make it into his theology. He hated James. He, you know, he, he only he, liked Paul. And the only reason he paid attention to right. Luke and Acts was because Luke was a traveling companion of Paul. It's the only reason it was too attention. Jewish. And I want, yeah. I want to say like, uh, um, Basically, what what he did is he he throws all this stuff aside, um, and, and it's very much what I see a lot of. Uh, I don't I don't even want to call them pastors. Um, I don't want to call them teachers, but they they hold those titles. But they they do very much the same thing. They take the parts that they like, the things that are 
the things that we they don't want to wrestle with. Because look, that's that's another thing we'll we'll do here, Tim, with our like. There's parts of scripture that we are going to wrestle with. Um, we need to wrestle with them. Um, it is good to ask questions. Uh, it, it is it is good to not understand what is going on. You shouldn't understand what's going on uh, in the sense of it's it's not our context. There's so many things uh, and I you know part of my method, Tim, when I read is you know I come across a statement or, or a word that just like but why is that? Um, I I used to get very bothered by that growing up um, the way that I did, you know, kind of a fundamentalist background. And th- these these little variances or text or words that would scare me, well, that I, I didn't know what to do with them. I get excited about them now um, because it's it, it's kind of like the word of God is drawing me into to a deeper um, understanding of who he is, uh, of what his word is saying, of what that author originally intended to communicate. There's no better feeling Um, I've found than being confused by scripture and then working mm, through it. it, It's such a marvelous, yes, such a marvelous gift. And uh, I'll say it's one of the reasons why when, when I would preach, I would have sermon series that were going through books. I, I preached what the terminology is Lexio Continua, uh, just straight through mm. books of the Bible. Yeah. It's a habit I That's learned right. from my pastor growing up. And I'll never forget, he um, he said one of the reasons why he does that is because he can't avoid the tough stuff. Mm. Can't avoid the tough stuff. When, <laughs> when, when you have a passage, you have to do one of two things. You have to uh, you have to claim something wrong or you have to admit humility. And here's the thing is uh, I, I have found myself at many points coming to a passage where I cannot solve the interpretation properly. And the last thing mm. I'm going to do is stand what up, do you do? stand up in front of the people of God and go, well, uh, here's my theory. No, I'm just going to be honest with them. Hey, this is a tough section. I don't really know. Oh my! The, this is not the. What? I'm not the answer of all of these. You things. don't know? Yeah. Wow, man. Yeah. What are we paying crazy. you for? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to know that. No, believe it or not. Yeah. So if your pastor, I'll tell you honestly, if your pastor is uh, an expert in all things, he is fooling himself and you. Uh, he's not. Uh, yeah, I you're know. Deceived. I read a lot of scholars, and and don't I've... try to hold them up to that standard. No, and, please and don't pastors do it. Don't no. feel like you have to be up to that standard. Nobody is. Um, I I have literally is. sat down with some of the greatest scholars and 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 digested their books, and I'm telling you, you're not talking about people who know everything. We all have blind spots. We all have traditions that we would rather hold on to than submit them to scripture every single one of us the question yeah, is when you become aware of scripture's challenge to your tradition what do you do with it do you allow it to challenge you do you allow it to defeat you and right you or do you try to do that to it do you try to defeat it and write it what should we do with those things, Tim? Because that you know that I, I believe we all we've all kind of come into that. And so one of the dangerous things that I see happen when when people's traditions are are challenged, rather than either changing them, dropping them, and or just being at peace with understanding where that tradition came from, what happens is. We, we have people that build a th- theology um, and, and denominations around these small little borders and parameters and that they find it very challenging to to adapt to that. Um, how is it that I, 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 it's one of the things that you know I really want to deal with on this episode because it, it definitely shapes your worldview and I'm 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 so thankful that that the Holy Spirit shook my worldview, and, and you know there's things that 
There's things that I absolutely abandoned. There's things that I just kind of understood where they come came from within the context of history. And what I'm talking about is maybe um, religious activity and or a belief. And that's why I've loved history so much is because it started bringing things into context to where I understood them a little bit better. Um, but, but we've got a big problem, especially within the Western church of putting too much emphasis on these, on these things. How, how, how are we supposed to deal with that as a uh, pastor? I, I, I would imagine that most of these wait for them to die. That, <laughs> boy, I sure hope not. Uh, I mean, when we're, when we're talking about any tradition and whatnot, if we're, if we're trying to combat that to the people that we've been given charge over, um, it's not going to be one just with words. Your words need to be mm. backed up with an attitude with which you lead. Uh, uh, I've always true. said that the pastor should be the most submissive person in the church. And if that means to your mm. mind that he's sub, uh, subjugated to everybody, then you need to understand what submission is because it's not that. No. Uh, the pastor should submission be the... Submission to the Lord. Right. should be the most submissive person to everyone. When you come to Ephesians five twenty one, the, the submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, you have, mm. you have, not just an argument or. You know, I remember sitting down, question and answer time. I would hold, you know, every year or two, uh, with uh, with our church, and would just say, "Look, I, I get to study these things for, for fun. Uh, pick my brain if there's something you want to know." Uh, and I'll tell you, those questions that would come up are not the questions that I'm addressing in a sermon somewhere. They're, they're with regards to traditions and how the scripture will combat those. And people saying, this seems to not be compatible. What happens here? What's the Do you see there? that they're holding them up to the same standard? Is that kind of the biggest issue? Is, is, is there's a misunderstanding of within the laity of... You know, it it's something that they've been taught, and then so when yes. they bring that up to you, yeah, and then they're holding you up to the same. Well, trying trying to, to, to solve it, I, and, and and I believe a lot of them are doing so with with great intention, um, of trying not trying to stump me or or something like that, but trying to actually work through it themselves. Uh, I I think the the questions that were always coming up in in the area I was I was in uh, more involved in independent, independent Baptist churches was the area of eschatology because of how much abject nonsense has been taught mm. on that subject in 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 this denomination man it has been it so it is uh, I don't I don't know I I don't know about the independent but I I know here in, in this culture in this part of the world you it, it's Southern Southern Baptist Convention mm-hmm. Um, and j- just the majority of of all of them have been taught this eschatological end times dispensational, almost like secret coming in, like Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins Left Behind series wrote that it's like that's like they're it's almost like they take that as. Uh, well, the late great planet Earth, inerrant, was, infallible scripture, yeah. but it's been it's been ingrained in their minds too that um, no, that this is the only that this is the only interpretation. This is the only school of thought. And just so you know, audience, where where, where I'm at on this is I'm I'm kind of I, I I don't that all of these end times systems are beautiful until they're not beautiful. <laughs> You, you know they 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 all do a really good job of picking and taking text and building a end times theology around that. The thing is, is when you avoid some of the other difficult texts that go with that, uh, it, it you have to abandon it. So See, Caleb, you know, this when is it comes where, to, I, I mean, that stuff down. is very interesting. Right. This is where it breaks down. Is is in people's view of scripture, right? And, and and that's what we're that's what we're trying to help with a bit here today on this episode is we are we're trying to get your minds to think more of the concept of what is it the scripture does it should challenge me not the other way around 
it should correct mm. me, not the other way around. Yeah. That doesn't mean that I don't have a brain or I cannot interpret these things or I can't study languages. You need to do all these things so that you can understand it better. Because when we liken our interpretation, now, if, if you are zoning out everything else, come back to us now. If you are like, so you're probably not going to hear us to be telling telling who the Antichrist is. I guess is who you're saying. <laughs> if you are likening your interpretation to scriptural scriptural level inerrancy, you have a problem. You have a really deep mm. problem in the fact that there's nothing and nobody that can correct you. That is a hermeneutical problem. That's an anthropological problem. Your, your definition of man is off. You are not capable of errorlessness. You will err. That means I that err. you think that you're inerrant. Right. That means that you think that you are God. And that, that you're, means that you are... That your interpretation of Scripture, inerrant. you think, is above reproach. Your, your interpretation of Scripture is not above mm. reproach. I will reproach it. You know, <laughs> why not? I challenge my own. I'm certainly going to challenge yours. Uh, and this is this is where we need to constantly be coming back to Scripture and allowing it to do what it does, which is once again re-challenge us again and again. When we come to when we come to Scripture, though, I mean, we're going to hear a lot in our society uh, regarding the idea of the nature of Scripture. Isn't even going to be talking about things like inerrancy or infallibility. They're going to be just going, well, that's just what people that's back right. then thought about that's God. Right. And they just wrote this down. And that so that's what these ancient Bronze Age people thought of their Sky Daddy or some other nonsense that gets talked around. Um, and so I, talk about that for a second. What about those who say that Scripture is just humans writing as a uh, quote-unquote witness to what God does? What do you think about that? What do you think about people who claim so, that I guess that's you'd all have to define on what is it that you Yeah, what what if you're just saying it's just that um like it, Well, first of all, you, I mean, just even by that question too, you you're you're affirming that God does exist. First of that's all, and you, so like, <laughs> yeah, uh, so um, like, yeah, well, they just are doing that. Um, but you just affirmed to, you know, so, I mean, I have this uh, conversation with atheists a lot and, you know, they ask questions and stuff like with the perspective that it sounds like a God actually exists. Um, but here's the problem is, well, if they took the possibility of whatever data it is that they have or they think that they believe when, when you come from the perspective from an atheist of that there's no possibility of a god to exist you can only interpret things in in one certain way so uh so that that's one end of the spectrum and i say that because i, I deal with a lot of on the on the secular end of atheist um and right. by atheist i mean that they believe that there's no possibility for god uh, and then, you know, you have some on the agnostic spectrum about, well, you know, I think there's a possibility of problem. And then there's, you know, some from a deistic perspective that, you know, you know that there's, there's, there's a lot of nuance there. So, but when they say just, when, when it's just men doing that, and I'm like, well, it is just men doing that that are inspired by God, uh, which, which means that, they're, they're doing something that is divinely inspired. It's culturally relevant to their original audience. So um, imagine, so like me and Tim, and, and you happen to recover a letter that I wrote to my friend Tim in a thousand years. And, and it gets uncovered. Um, a thousand years from now, I can just, based upon the way history's gone so far, if we happen to last another thousand years, that the context in a thousand years is going to be a little bit different. Uh, yeah. And if you take those words that I'm saying to Tim um, and interpret them in a thousand year period future context, they're totally going to miss the point. Um, if they just do it that way. So 
But, so when we look at the Bible and we say divinely inspired text, it is very human. It is divinely inspired. And it's also divinely inspired based upon based upon the evidence, based upon the scientific evidence. You can come to a, a very good logical conclusion that it's very divinely inspired because of the overarching story that happens from Genesis to Revelation. For anybody that's read the Bible and, and that continues to stay in it, I, I do believe that there's power within the Word of God to to change you. Um, All right, there's there's going to be holes when when you approach Scripture on the idea that the humans were writing simply as a witness to God's workings, because there's this there's this hanky little thing called prophecy that speaks about things that have not yet occurred that no human can actually just do. And this is something that happens over and over and over again in Scripture. Uh, and, and that could be scientifically proven because we have textual evidence that's earlier dated that ends up happening in the future. You know, we have something how even is it stronger that the secular that? scholars explain that? Well, and so here's here's where you kind of bring in this this reality that people who are interacting with scripture as as a witness of what God is doing rather than, you know, just merely as that, like it's just me sitting down and writing about God today. It's like us shooting the breeze here on 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 a show. That's not inspired. That's not God-given. That's just us shooting the breeze. And if that's what Scripture is like, then we've got uh, a big problem. And Scripture's not like that. We know it's well, not like that. Well, wait a second, Tim. Like, you know, I hear when I turn my TV on, though, you'll have a lot of people saying, God said to me this, this, and that. Is that a prophet? <laughs> right. Well, you'll also find people trying to argue for this on, on TV as well. That's right. But you're always going to find something along with them. It always comes with a goal in mind, and that is to uh, apologize An for agenda. a section or explain it away or or get around to teaching something. You know, Paul was a chauvinist, therefore, you know, his view on women, obviously that part in scripture, we can just ignore it or or what have you, anything. And it will always be, and that's how you can identify this, it's always going to come with an idea with an that agenda. we can explain away or get around or put in once again ourselves over scripture. And that's how I really want to cap this off before we before we close out here. Yeah. We have we have one way to approach scripture and it's the way it tells us to approach it that is submissively and reverently. And if we find ourselves approaching it any other way, we're going to miss it. Tim, close us out on a little bit. Um, we don't have to spend a whole lot of time. The role of the Holy Spirit within the interpretation of Scripture, because I, I think that's that's a, a, a big part. You know, coming from Reformed circles and and and, and in on our end, um, and then you have mm -hmm. you have another pendulum swing um, that's very charismatic, and there's abuses on both sides. Yes. But that's part of the reverence, I, I guess, what I talk about with approaching Scripture. Of, yes. Of, do you approach it prayerfully? Yes. So, yeah. for instance, every every time I come to preach the Word of God, I I pray the Holy Spirit comes to open our minds and our hearts. I always I always pray for two things: one, that we would understand the truth of God's Word, as as the Holy Spirit originally inspired them. He was the one that did that. But mm -hmm. there's a much greater miracle that I want when I'm giving the word of God to the people of God. I don't want them just to understand it. There's that pitfall from the reform side. I want them to love it. Mm. I want them to be challenged by it. I don't want them to just know it. I want them to love it. I want them to follow it. And that's my prayer for everyone who listens to this podcast as well. For you, for me, for all of our classmates and our seminary professors and everyone else, our family, our children. So I think that's a good place to end it, though. Let's uh, let's pray yeah, as we close yeah, out. Tim, close us out. Cl close us out in prayer, Tim, and, uh, and and thank you for that. Father, we are indebted to you in a way that we cannot even imagine. In the midst of that inability, we thank you. We thank you for our lives. 
We thank you for Christ. We do pray that we walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that as every day that passes, we learn to appreciate that Christ has never left his church. The Holy Spirit dwells within us in a temple throughout the world. Each of us is living stones being built up into that spiritual house. What a marvelous picture for your people. We thank you that you have not left us instructionless, nor have you left us only with a list of instructions. You gave us your word, story and parable, challenge, law, gospel, epistle, everything. We're so grateful for it. We're grateful that it takes work. It's always worth it at the end of that work. We do pray that we do the work and we do the hard things in order to earn an appreciation for what you have given us in your word. We thank you for it in your son's name and for his kingdom. Amen. Amen. Blessings to y'all. for listening to Theology Untucked. Join us each week as we engage in all things theological, biblical, and cultural. These are the types of conversations we should be having in the church today, and we aim to play our part. Also, we'd love to hear from you. If you have a question you'd like us to address, or a prayer request, please send them to us. You can reach me at Caleb at TheologyUntucked.com. Or you can reach me at Tim at TheologyUntucked.com. Do note that your prayer requests remain strictly confidential. We will not be sharing them on the show. For more information or to support the show, please visit TheologyUntucked.com. Lord's blessings to you all.